Hello and welcome to Wonderful. I'm David Pearl, the founder of Street Wisdom, and this is a podcast we've designed for anyone who wants to get some inspiration on the go. Today, a lot of us are listening to podcasts while we walk. Wonderful is a podcast designed specifically for that, a podcast to walk to, something to put a bit of wonder in your wonder. You're welcome to listen to this as you wander around your home or lying on the sofa even, you'll find inspiration is actually everywhere. But if you've got a bit of time, and let's face it, we've all got a bit of time, let's boot up and head out into the street. So hello everyone, or should I say ciao? This is David uh, coming to you from Italy. Benvenuti a tutti, vagabondi, vagabonde. A tutti li, um, chi, tutti chi amano, Il viaggiare della vita. That's it. End of Italian. I can see Andrew's eyes rotating in the back of his skull. Um, yeah, I'm in Italy. I'm on the outskirts of a town. Uh, I've come out here partly because I can do my singing practice without annoying everybody except the dogs. And partly because, in fact, maybe maybe I should do some singing practice at the end of this. There's a, there's a thrill for you to look forward to. Um, meanwhile, though... Um, the other reason I like to do this is I like to explore the place where nature and the town meet. I'm always interested in, uh, through my work with um, street wisdom, is thinking, you know, where is nature? Is it, is it that green stuff out there in the countryside? Or can we find more of it in the cities and towns where a lot of us live? I hope so, because if we all troop out to the countryside, um, we'll mess that up. <laughs> and also, we need to find inspiration right where we are, um, living where we are. So how are you doing? Are you finding inspiration? Where have you wandered recently? Have you got lost? Do you f- did you find anything interesting when you got lost? Or have you stayed on the straight and narrow? Uh, I have certainly been doing a bit of wandering. And it took me recently to a small town that some of you will have heard of in the Middle East called Dubai. Yes, that fever dream of stealing glass, uh, uh, a truly monumental city uh, c- c- city effort, cityying effort that's happened in, in the um, Middle East. And I was really intrigued to see right in the middle of Dubai is a, if you look on Google Maps, you'll see there's a nature reserve on the creek around which Dubai has um, grown up, is a nature reserve. And I thought, when I go to Dubai, I want to go to the nature reserve. And I did. Uh, it was tricky at first because um, I took an Uber and we could see the nature reserve, couldn't actually get to it. But with a bit of persistence, um, I went there. And not alone. I went there with Paul Valencia, who some of you will remember from a previous podcast. He and I, Paul, is my um, sort of my guide into the more than human world, as he puts it. Somebody loves nature and knows a lot about it. Um, and he happened to be in the town at the same time, and we decided we would go and see the flamingos who live in the nature reserve, the Ras Al Khor Nature Reserve. I had intended to do this. You know how in your mind's eye you have this heroic view of yourself, waking early, drinking rainwater, and finally, as the sun comes up, being there at the nature reserve to record the flamingos waking up to a new day in perfect, cool air temperature and so on. Uh, picture the scene. Actually, I managed to get out at exactly the hottest time of day. We arrived there at midday in blistering heat, 
and sat in what they call a hide with no air conditioning. So if you hear either Paul or I dripping with sweat during this um, conversation, you will know why. Um, I started the conversation with Paul, <clears throat> who's a very brilliant and also a very practical person, and I asked him whether there was anything that he felt um, city dwellers could be doing practically to make cities more natural and more beautiful. And he, he kicked off with a really great idea. I think you'll like this. So, Paul Valencia. I've been inspired by, I mean, with, with the planting seeds, there's I've seen like a couple do something on, on Instagram about they're dressing up as bumblebees, riding skateboards and having like a parmesan shaker filled with native seeds. And they're just, as they're skating around the city, they're finding like plots of earth that was a little bit uncovered and kind of had a bit of humidity and they were just like shaking the seeds there. And I found that practice very, very beautiful and it seems that it kind of, online, it, lots of people were watching it. And many people started doing it and just posting, um, you know, results after three months of planting or something like that. So I started doing that as well in Munich. And it was so nice because I bought this, you first need to look for the endemic wild plants. Uh, and kind of bring them to the city. And I bought this huge pack of seeds and um, like four or five salt shakers because I had the feeling if my family saw what I was doing and they would also like to have their own shaker. Um, so they just took it and they just walked the dog and take the shaker and just like, it's, it's such a rewarding yeah. experience. Um, so that's kind of one. And I think Besides that, by being exposed to, you know, the experience that we did and others in the wild and then coming back to the city, your perception shifts in a way that you start noticing the natural life um, of the city, the wilderness in the city, so to say. So you become much more aware of trees and you become much more aware of birds and you become much more aware of of other mammals that live in cities and um, it's actually really funny because I've been talking with Georg who kind of initiated me in tracking in Romania with the bison and he said when you're looking for wildlife you will be surprised but you will find quite a huge number of wildlife living or being in proximities to cities because that's where the food is. Mm. Mm. So, well, as we see here, right, the flamingos are being fed. Usually, you know, there is so much food leftovers that are, that animals can find in cities. And at night they come and then they start looking for it. So I have not met anyone who's doing this or like how people, you know, people do urban exploration, but I've never met people that go like on wildlife tours in cities but I think it's very very interesting um, I think two nights ago we you know dear colleague of our Barbara just walking to go to check the museum of the future right and all of a sudden we see this sign with 
slow down because they're peacocks. And Barbara said, and I was with Robert as well, he's a dear friend of ours. They said, well, maybe it's just, you know, a sign put there for fun. And I kind of used my, my tracker ability. I was like, no, it's not there for fun. So I just kind of started scanning the environment. And then I looked to my right, there were some trees. So I walked through there, they walked through me. I was like, okay, there's the peacock. And I was like, where is the peacock? There is the peacock. I was like, where is it? We can't see it. Okay, look up. And I had to point to it. And I was like, oh my God, there's a peacock over there. And um, it was so beautiful, like so surreal in a way, but then also so beautiful of a moment to see that we can, that this is possible. That they were like just chilling there in the tree in the middle of downtown Dubai um, and then we just started walking and because I became aware that they're peacocks and we saw one I started seeing more and more and more and I think most people would not notice them and then we saw them like in trees in the distance two or three um, and we met with one of the guards who said uh, Oh, you should come in the morning at six. They're very active, and there's lots going on. And it's like, oh, that's very, very interesting. And then we kept on walking, and we f saw one on a lamp post. And Barbara took this yeah, epic yeah, yeah, picture, yeah, yeah. Which, which we might just show. And it's just so amazing to just see, see them like how they integrate in this urban environment. So I love that idea of Paul so much that when I got back from Dubai, I started doing that very thing. And now I often carry around a small herb jar with little perforated lid into which I put um, seeds, that wildflower seeds that are appropriate for the location. And I go and I, when, that, when no one's looking, I, I sprinkle seeds. It's sort of both strangely responsible and irresponsible at the same time. I love it. Give it a try. I think you'll enjoy it. So, um, You'll have noticed that there are, on this podcast, we feature Paul, myself, and the chorus of flamingos. There's about 600 of them. <laughs> and they're getting quite vocal at this point. And that's because, as I said, it's, it's lunchtime. And what they know is that around lunchtime, um, a small white van driven by somebody from the Dubai authorities will appear um, with buckets full uh, of feed for them. Uh, the traditional food, I believe, of the flamingos is is brine shrimp. Check that for me if you would, Andrew, because I, 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 I'd want, I want to... He's, he's tapping away. He's, he's, apparently Google says I'm right. Okay, good. And apparently um, that's what gives flamingos their pink color. They, they, there is an algae within the brine shrimp that they eat that uh, when they metabolize, it turns their feathers pink. And because these shrimp are in short supply, um, they are not very uh, pink flamingos. You'll see from the picture that we post up that they're almost white. So there's an interesting, interesting theme emerging here, which is, you know, how in cities are we to live and nourish ourselves in, 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 in ways that are sustainable? And that's exactly what Paul and I uh, began to talk about. As the, uh, as the flamingos had their lunch, we began to talk more widely about food, what it is, what it means, and what it could be. How do you cultivate biodiverse edible landscapes? And kind of one one vision or one dream is is like 
how would it be like to live inside you know like what they're doing in Singapore right they're they're having this concept of this is a city inside the garden but what if we have cities inside edible landscapes yeah. right where because if you have if you create an edible landscape then you take care that the soil is taken care of the water is clean there are no pollutants in the air because you you would just love to you know wait for your bus and just grab an apple right and then it's a those apples are in abundance because everyone's planting edible species and then all of a sudden the wildlife will also come because there is food so if you take care of the soil if you take care of the water if you take care of the air and you plant these edible ecosystems then many insects will start popping up then birds will start coming the mammals will start coming reptiles and so on so that was like a very interesting way of kind of expanding this like from foraging to how do you create forageable landscapes that make it a bit easier for people that they don't have to go through this learning curve but you kind of select and curate the edible plants and species for an ecosystem and then you just com completely wild and just bomb this, the entire city with edible stuff yeah what that is an amazing image and for many reasons but for me the thing that first comes up in my mind is it <coughs> violates a deep principle that we've been brought up with which is somehow food should cost stuff you know food was available in the environs of the city yeah. and people could quote just forage and where are the fences where is the the farmer saying pick your own i'll put you know five pounds for a punnet i think it's a really it's a radical idea not just because of the the the, the, the natural and the kind of you know the organic uh, nature of what you're talking about, but it flies in the face of the idea that you get food from a shop. Yeah. We've been trained into this very limited notion. Have you heard of CSAs? It's called Community Supported Agriculture. Um, and so I've been recently in the Netherlands, and that's where I've discovered this concept, and I found it to be so powerful because it also makes financial sense, which is usually, you know, money makes the world go round. But what I love about it is community supported agriculture is, is, is a model that allows people to grow food together where they share the risks of growing food and the benefits. So let's say I decide to make an urban garden in central London, which I mean, land is very expensive, but let's say we find some land and I can lease it, or I can buy it, or someone else has it and, you know, just wants to make an experiment that might hopefully become permanent. But the problem that I have is I don't have capital to start up a garden because I need people, I need, you know, water, I need to take care of the soil, I need to... But what the community-supported agriculture is doing is I just need a number of subscribers. So I might ask you, is like, do you want to have every week a set amount of fruits and vegetables? You might say yes, okay. So for a year, because I make my calculations, I will need 1,000 pounds food per year. And then for this 1,000 pounds, where when, uh, whenever something is growing in the garden, I can tell you what you can harvest, nice. right? And I make my, my plan and I say, I need like 50, 50 families for me to be able to 
have a salary and maintain this. And so I have 50 families paying a thousand pounds. Now these 50 families don't get guaranteed vegetables. I'm assuming you're not going to get one kilo or not. You might end up, and you have huge variability because it all depends on the weather, right? So, you know, the recent heat wave in India was like 60 degrees Celsius, right? So, if I, if you don't share the risk and say it's going to get hotter, it's going to be no rain or something is going to happen, then I will lose. So then I cannot continue the business. So what would happen is, if there is abundance, we share it. If there is no abundance, then we share the costs. And the cool thing about this is that you create the garden, but then you can also choose like what, out of these families, people would come and say, okay, I want to do some volunteering, I want to do some gardening right now. So you can just join, you bring your kids and you start helping. You're not a full time, but just, it's really nice to put your hands in the dirt as, as yeah. you do in your own garden, right? Yeah. And um, then you form community. But then you also form community with the more than human. Like bees are coming and different animals are coming and so on. And if you choose to do sort of like a food forest way, then you're creating edible landscapes, but then also ecosystems. And then if you create more of these in the city, then it becomes interesting. And the way it works is like every week you would receive a newsletter. And it depends on who's doing it. But the person that was doing it was like putting some inspiring words in the newsletter and they were saying, okay, this week you can pick five carrots, you, you can take two beets, you take two kilograms of onion and you take this. And then you get the map and you know where, which is which and then you go and you collect it. Yeah, yeah. So yes, yeah. It's, it's just amazing. So yeah. I think that that model is working with kind of making this tra transition from the shop yeah, yeah. to actually us us. Doing something. Yeah, yeah. What you also remind me of is my own little recent attempts at growing food in the garden. You know, I had no idea. It's ridiculous, but I didn't. But I didn't have an idea. Well, first, the technicalities of growing stuff from seed. But then you get, it's a bit like children, I suppose. You, know, you grow the seed from a seedling and you propagate and so on, and then you plant it out. Um, and you think you're done. But in fact, you've just sent your kid to elementary school. Yeah. And they've got to fend for themselves, and there's slugs, and there's rain, and there's no rain, and this stuff. And the it made me it makes you ponder when you when you, you know, casually go and buy a bag of rocket at the local supermarket for whatever it is a pound. You you realise the true cost of that, and the amount that you mm. have to plant, and the amount you have to tinker, or people have tinkered yeah. with nature in order to have a reliable product day after day after day. It it really recalibrates my sort of sense of the value of food hmm. yes and I mean I would add some extra ideas to that I think it's you know having this industrial heritage makes it very hard for us to go with this community supported agriculture mm. model because we need to decondition ourselves from expecting that the taste will always be the same and I think that's the problem that we have, is because the garden and nature is variable, but we expect a constant. And I think that's the problem. Yeah. You know, we're eating very few, you know, crops. As you know, I, I don't know how many edible species are there, but I think there are over two, three, four, five hundred thousand different edible types of plants, you know. So we just like cultivate very few because again, we have this industrial thinking and they're trying to cultivate different herbs and plants and so on. 
they're saying they're having the challenge of like the, the, the chefs don't know how to use them mm. and what we at the college was like we just want those yeah that people are not using yeah so we're kind of supporting them and they're very passionate about these diverse like the misfit vegetables that no one has a home for the orphan vegetables exactly it's a vegetable orphanage is what you're like. exactly so we're kind of encouraging that and they're like wow this would help us so much if you kind of show us and others what you do with these plants so they kind of learn how to do so there's lots of lost wisdom relearning yeah relearning right so i think there's also kind of that aspect of it yeah it's a beautiful phrase that pops into my mind which is the name of george mombio's latest book which is regenesis mm. which i love the way it's got regeneration in it but also it's like start again it's like genesis you know the first book of the bible we're going to do that again we do mm. it differently but it also means remembering remembering stuff that we've lost or forgotten Mm. Um, in our, I think you're right, there's this push for consistency. What's so great about consistency? I think it's, I think it's sort of like a coping mechanism. <laughs> Predictability in an unpredictable world. Yeah, know? exactly, right? So I think if people already experience huge amounts of tension in their daily life, so they need an, a certain, maybe, I'm just, you know, I'm just yeah. theorizing here, they might need a familiarity yeah a constant yeah so that they don't lose it you know yeah. but I think the problem is that the constant that we are basing you know I think to me the constant should be a the ability to self-regulate your nervous system that's the constant having some practices on how to do that and not relying on an external thing yeah to do that for you sure. which that external thing always needs to be a constant One of the things I really love about talking to people like Paul is the, the, the number of innovations and doable ideas that they bring to the conversation. It's so easy to become despondent, but actually when you talk to people in the know, they've got countless examples of things that we can and should be doing, which are easy to do and gratifying to do. So um, this led me on to think about the sit spot. Some of you will remember that um, in previous episodes, um, Paul introduced me to this practice that he does called the sit spot, which is essentially sitting on one spot in nature. And because I found it so rewarding and nourishing to do myself, I asked him if he would kind of take us through it and give us instructions about how to do it so that after this, you and I, dear listeners, uh, could, we could have a go together. Um, he describes how he does it. And he also describes... Uh, how he, he'll often write something at the end, in this case a poem, and he, and, uh, he takes us through that and, and what that means. So I hope you enjoy this. And at the end of this, let's, let's, let's try some of what Paul is suggesting together. I've been with people in different settings. So I've been with people in natural settings and still notice that they can't connect to right. what's there. Right. right? So... It doesn't matter where you are in the city or in a natural setting if you don't have the practice of, you know, letting go of actions that you need to fulfill. To be able to actually see or have the patience to look long enough until you start seeing. You mean your to-do list? Do you mean your... your Anything. Because your head's full of stuff that... Yeah, I need, I need to scratch my back, for yeah, example, yeah. or I need to, to maybe eat some sweets, or I need to send an email, or like whatever. So I think if you set 
an amount of time, no matter where you are, like you're saying in your bathroom, there is a fly, right? Well, ideally outdoors or, you know, an open window or a balcony or <coughs> a park or whatever it is next to a tree and you just sit. You can put a timer. I do my sit spots regularly, um, usually once a day, even though in Dubai I didn't have the time to do it uh, in the past four days. Um, but usually I do them once a day, an hour. And I just sit. And if I'm fortunate enough to be in the same place, in Munich I stayed for about two months and I did every day on the balcony, one hour. And I got to know the neighbors, the more than human neighbors. Always the same cast of characters. I would have never be aware that there's always the same two woodpeckers that are coming. They're always the same crowds that are, are there. There's always this conflict between the crowds and the squirrel. There's always the same four squirrels and they have different romances going on. Um, there's that, the nesting place and there is this behavior. And, and I think one month in, I just realized I got so much surprised when there was a new bird that I never seen before. I was like, oh my God, what is this bird doing? Here? Newcomer like, in town. Newcomer, yeah. Um, I was quickly chased away by the others. Um, it was very, very interesting and then started making friends with with the wind and the trees and kind of my my heart kind of opened up to this different world where as i was sitting and just like immersing myself with the senses right just like the wind is blowing i feel it on your skin i can feel it now yeah yeah right so sweat trickling down my back and as well it's beautiful if we just like stop right now and just listen so if you listen like this for an hour to the water, there's messages in there. And at one point, you're developing this lens, you know, Bill Plotkin would call it wild imaginations. You're cultivating your wild imaginations and it starts interpreting or creating or giving you actually most of the times what you need, which is some sort of nourishment of the soul, some sort of nourishment of the heart. So then I had these moments where things were coming, like verses of a poem were coming, and they were stuck in my mind. They just stayed there, glued to the mind. And then afterwards, I took maybe half an hour, and I just wrote everything in a note notebook. And then I kind of cleaned it a little bit, and I had poems. And so I can read you a poem now. Um, Please do. Um, that was written in April, during one of these sit spots. So the, the title is Honey. By the way, the uh, the flamingos also want you to. They uh -huh. gave you a little. I can yeah. see. You can see that guys is raising. Yeah, they, they, they want to hear the poem too. So yeah. The title is Honey. Honey. So it goes like this: In the absence of actions you need to fulfill, in the absence of actions you need to fulfill, you lie down on the carpet of pollen. A train full of squirrels is not going to work today. You fall into numbness. You fall into numbness. A woodpecker comes to crack your skull open. A woodpecker comes to crack your skull open. A river of tears bursts out. The wind spreads the news. The bees have finally come.
And that's honey. Yeah, it's so beautiful. So there it is, the sit spot. Described as somebody who really knows how it works. Paul has woven it into his daily practice, in fact his life practice, and he's done it for long periods of time uh, in extraordinary places including the Ecuadorian jungle and, and so on and so forth. But the beauty of it is that it can work anywhere in any time. Uh, Paul recommends that um, I do it in 20 minute chunks, I found that good. But why don't we just try five minutes? Why don't you and I try five minutes right now? Find a, find a place where you can make contact with nature even if it's just a plant in a pot really be with nature and if if um if you can if you can do 20 minutes great but but as a minimum let's just do five and then see what occurs and then maybe write down a couple of words at the end um which sum up your experience okay so let's take five minutes i'm gonna i'm actually just i'm, I'm just gonna turn around and sit here there's a bush behind me and can take a moment to have a sit spot, just sit with nature. Okay, so welcome back. I hope you had a wonderful time doing that. I, I, I certainly did. Do, do, do let us know, by the way. Um, Andrew and I love it when you send in comments explaining what kind of uh, experience, what you've done with the experience, how you've made it your own. Maybe I'll just share mine, what happened for me. So, um, really sort of sitting behind, right behind where I'm sitting, in front of, sort of a church in front of me, and then there's a, there's a kind of, I guess we call it, it's recycling centre, it's effectively car park. And the edge of it is, is a bush. If I was a better naturalist, I'd know what it was. But um, I'll tell you what, I'll take a picture of that and then you can tell me. But it's a fairly sort of standard bush probably put there by a, you know urban planner. And I'm sitting in front of it and initially I, I closed my eyes and I heard nothing. Occasional car passing and I thought, oh, it's silent. There's nothing happening. And then I looked at it, I opened my eyes. And it's studded with these tiny five point starred tiny flowers and when I look closer it's actually alive with insects bees wasps flies and their cousins um, going about their pollination business you know sucking up nectar and depositing pollen and so on and so forth and um, a hive of activity as it were and then I looked at the hedge that's next to it, so sort of like a box hedge. And again, my mind sort of dismissed it, oh, it's a hedge. And then I looked and sat with it and just sat with it. And I noticed it was actually shivering. All of the leaves are microscopically shivering in the wind. So again, something that looked passive and just decorative or has probably thought of as uh, an afterthought in a way, is actually million vibrating points of activity. And it made me think about the bees and it made my brain started whirring and I phrases like a better way of being came to mind, you know, another dad pun. Um, and then at some point, uh, a, a post mistress went past, you know, a, a delivering the post. And that set me off thinking about how the human beings we are have sort of, whether consciously or not, we're sort of bio mimicking 
and that a post off you know postal worker is just like a bee in the sense that they're depositing packages they're picking up packages and so on and then i thought boy i'm thinking a lot it'll become very intellectual so i i did something that i often do which is just breathe and instead of just looking at something over there i put it i put this beautiful bush in i imagined it inside my chest inside my body in other words the the feeling that I was getting through my eyes, I put that into my body. And the words disappeared. The chatter disappeared. But if there were any words to s sum up what I was feeling, it would be maybe love or calm or same. Because what I get a lot from sit spots is we are nature, we are I am that. That is me. Um, I also get the feeling that that bush knows much better what it's doing with its life than a lot of us do, myself included. Um, and that makes nature soulful because it's doing what it knows how to do. It's, there's a rightness about it which I find very uh, renewing, if I can use that. And I try and hold on to as the daily news breaks over us about another climate challenge and another natural disaster just try and hold on to that the fact we are nature it is us and uh, nature knows what it's doing if we let it so there we are the sit spot um i hope you enjoyed that i hope you see more nature in the city and you enjoy it see yourself as more natural even you andrew Yes, even you are one of, part of nature. I know it's hard to imagine, but there it is. Um, and I wish you well, Wanderistas, Vagabondi, Vagabonde. Actually, so I remember I said that I would do some singing practice. Well, we're in the open air, although <clears throat> this will probably set the dogs of the neighborhood off. But um, this is uh, a little song I'm working on, which I'll do the beginning of it, and it's 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 a it's an Italian tenor waking up at dawn as I should have done in in Dubai but didn't. Um, oh look, we've got that. Th that's a special effect that Andrew Payne has put on, direct from Glasgow. I asked him for Italian church bell. And of course, it would have to be midday, wouldn't it? Amazing! It's actually the time it was in Dubai. How did you do that, Andrew? It's strange. He's kind of... He has fingers everywhere. <clears throat> so this would be dawn. It isn't dawn, but the song is at dawn. Oh, my word. <laughs> okay. It's... What is the message nature is sending us? There's something so much more monumental about this church bell telling us it's 12 o'clock as opposed to looking at your iPhone or your device and, go and looking at it that way. And what's about to happen, because it's midday, it's a commandment that all Italians must return home for pasta. So this road is going to get super, super busy. Oh, actually, I think... 
I think we'll have to leave the singing to another time. Because this is not, I believe, the time. This is religion calling us to prayer. Which, of course, they do in, in the Middle East as well, but in a slightly less clangy way. So, I think... I think religion has voted against me singing. And the relief on Andrew Payne's face is total. So friends, wherever you may go, whatever may be alarming you or distracting you, may you wander and may you leave the straight and narrow and find interesting stuff. Until next time, <laughs> dear friends, next episode of Wonderful, have a wonderful time. If you enjoyed the podcast, I think you'll really like my book, Wonderful. It's all about how to activate your inner compass so you can find better ways to live, laugh, love, and other things beginning with L. You'll find your copy on Amazon. And if that all sounds a bit salesy, the truth is all my proceeds go to my nonprofit Street Wisdom, which was set up to offer a fresh, new creative practice, free to people all over the world. And let's face it, the world could do with a bit more creativity, right? Check out streetwisdom.org and you'll find audio guides, news about where events are taking place and other creative loveliness. If you're looking for your next step, it's a great place to start. So please like and subscribe to the podcast and have a wonderful day. Did you see what I did there, Andrew? When I said next steps, that means like both physical and metaphorical next steps. I guess what we call a play on words. Marketing gold, really.